media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Psalm 51 this morning. And I, I'm just, you know, I always want to be honest. Uh, it's going to be a challenge to preach today. When life overwhelms us, when things happen that are just so heavy, where do we go as Christians, guys? Do we just kind of put it off to the side? Do we just say, well, you know... And, and it, you know, there's so many Christian answers that we have to the difficulties of life. Well, you know, God's in control. And all that is true. We don't make light of that. But if we don't have biblical truth as a foundation for our lives, guys, our feelings very much will begin to control our minds and our hearts. And that's why we need Scripture. That's why we need the very Spirit of God to come back and put everything in perspective in life and and so I, I kind of apologize right from the very beginning that my mind and my heart is kind of in a different place this morning. And yet I'm excited about the word that we have for us. We've been in Psalms 51 for a, a long time now. and uh, But it's been a couple weeks. Uh, Radley, again, thank you for preaching a couple weeks ago, doing such an outstanding job there. And then last week you got to hear from all those that went on the trip or some of those that went on the trip uh, and our kind of experience there in, in Utah. So we get back to this. And we have two weeks left, today and, and next week. And what we began to see weeks ago is that biblical repentance does have this heaviness. If you want to say downward, sorrow of our sins, we see this heaviness of this, oh my goodness, this is against a holy God. And in the Old Testament, remember, they would take sackcloth and ashes and they would cover themselves with the ashes. And this was a form of them showing outwardly what was happening inwardly with this whole repentance. I'm sorry for my sins. And so I, I think we could rightly characterize that from a human perspective, that this is a downward thing that's going. And a couple of weeks ago, we began to make that turn because biblical repentance doesn't end in ashes and sackcloth. The beauty of biblical repentance, and when we see what happens because of Christ, is that there is a turn that takes place. And after coming before God, as David did, my God, my God, only against you have I sinned. And he felt the weight of that. Then he begins to see what Christ has done. And this is before Christ was born in the sense of in the earthly birth. And But David's already believing. He's already believing that God has an answer. And so he starts to make claims. And, and one of those things is that, as we can, can we go to that next slide? You know, where does this eventually lead? If, if we truly do see biblical repentance as this heaviness, this admittance of our sin, and it causes kind of this burden, and then we begin to turn, we begin to go, and we start to come back up, where eventually does it lead? Well, I think that we're going to see that in the next two weeks. And it starts with what we saw in our last sermon three weeks ago. Uh, let me read that passage again because I know it's been three weeks. Uh, some of you may not have been here at that time. So let's look back and see three requests that David made of God. Now, this is in the midst of seven requests that he makes. If you go back and look at the whole passage, there's going to be seven different requests that God, that David makes of God. But three of them are found in this passage that are really relevant to this turn and now this upswing of restoration 
and reconciliation. Psalms 51, verse 10 through 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Three things that he asked. Create, renew, restore. Biblical repentance, when it has its full effect, begins that pathway to truly being restored. First and foremost, with holy God. And now we begin to see that David's going to take it to another level. He's he's admitted his sin. He said, God, I got this relationship that I have with you. I'm asking you to make that right. And that's where we start, guys. (laughs) Creating me a new heart. Remember that word create? Meant to make something out of nothing. And so our hope is even if we have nothing to bring to this king, to the God and the one true God, Will you create something in me that I could never create myself? And that was the hope. He said, will you renew, will you restore, will you bring us back into this right relationship? And by all indication, this is exactly where David believes that he is. And now he's going to ask, not so much about this relationship, but about these relationships. Remember when God, uh, when David did say, against you and you only, God have I sinned. Remember that in the early part of this passage? And we said, you know, I think other people would beg to differ. And we put it in biblical perspective. We said, okay, he knew that his sin was against holy God first and foremost. But he was not trying to say that he did not sin against Bathsheba, against Uriah, against family members and others that were hurting because of his sin. I, I could think that we could say, okay, if you're the king of a of a nation, that the whole nation suffers a little bit when you walk astray of serving your God. So there's a lot of people affected here. But first and foremost, he said, I want to get this right. But now that he's gotten that right, he said, God, will you restore these relationships? See, one of the greatest costs of our sins is not only does it affect that vertical relationship with God, but our sin oftentimes begins to affect the horizontal relationships that we have here with others. I mean, think about infidelity in, in marriage. When that comes upon our lives, can we go to that next slide there? And, and there's this wall between us because there's been unfaithfulness to, to whatever degree. And because of that unfaithfulness, now we have separation. Think of how infidelity in marriage changes a marriage. Now, let me ask you a couple questions. Will God forgive infidelity in marriage if there's true repentance? Yes. Will that marriage be forever damaged? That's kind of what I've expected to hear is, no, yes, well, maybe. We're going to answer that biblically today, or at least attempt to answer that biblically today. If you said yes... I can probably understand the context by which you're coming. If you said no, maybe you're saying, but because of Christ, all things are made new. And and so what truth do we want to go with that, okay, sin has a cost in these vertical or these horizontal relationships, but at the same time, we're forgiven in Christ. How does the Bible work? How does our theology become applicable to our relationship with one another? 
We know what God said about our relationship with Him, that He will forgive us. Remember what He said? I will remove your sins as far as the east is from the west. I'll bury them at the bottom of the sea. It will be as if you had never sinned. This is our hope in Jesus Christ. But does that always mean that these relationships get restored? I'm going to give you hope this morning. If, if The hope and the beauty of true biblical repentance, like even in marriage, I, I can tell you this, the marriage will be changed forever. I will tell you that. I, I believe that. But it doesn't mean that it has to be forever damaged. This is just one application. There's a thousand different applications because of our sins are different and the way that we would sin. But, uh, but I think this is the general truth that we can find. Will we be forever changed because of sin? Does it affect things? Yes, we see verse after verse after verse in the New Testament, not just the Old Testament. You know, God's not going to be mocked. Don't be a fool. But where you soap, you're going to re- re- reap that. If you're sowing this to the flesh, then you, you're, you're going to reap that. This is a biblical truth, and we'll address that a little bit later on, a little bit more. But it also, we have this work of the gospel that is always restoring and reconciling as long as there's true biblical repentance. Now, again, what did David ask for in verses 10 through 12? Create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And he begins to focus on that. But now look at verse 13. He's just made those claims. He says, okay, God, will you do these things? Actually, there's seven things. We just looked at those three. But he says, will you do that? Then what's the first word of verse 13? Well, what does then usually mean? Afterwards. <laughs> yeah, let's not make it too difficult there. You, you do these things, God. You do these things. Then, then what? I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. After God creates, after God renews, after God restores, then God begins to work on the horizontal. See, one of the things that David began to sense that he really lost in the depth of his sin is the profound effect that it had on God's calling in his life. God is the one that called David. God is the one who purposed to use David for his glory. God is the one that placed David as king over God's people. And David now sees how how his sin, his personal sin, has affected all these other horizontal relationships that he has, both in his position, his calling, and in the intimacy of his own family life. And he has the audacity to do this. God, will you start restoring this relationship, these relationships too? Can you see how that's applicable to your life? I sure see how it's applicable to mine. Uh, husbands, have you ever hurt your wife's heart? And you hurt your wife's heart and you feel sorrow over it? And you say, okay, God, will you forgive me? And God and I say, yes, by the blood of Christ, you're cleansed. But what about this relationship? I was with my man one time, 
discipleship. And I asked him, I said, guys, have you ever had a time when you apologized? You asked for forgiveness from your wife. Because she's gracious and kind and led by God's spirit. She said yes, and yet she couldn't look at you in the face. She said, can you imagine that, guys? The hurt that comes with that. God, I know that you have forgiven me. God, I, I know that you positionally have me as saved as I will ever be. But, but God, I, I've offended these people that I love. And I've apologized. And they've said the words, why well, I, I forgive you. And yet our eyes and our hearts can't meet. Is there hope for us? Is there hope for us in broken families? Is there hope for us in broken churches? Is there hope for us in a broken world? And the Bible would say yes. David has the audacity. God, will you now start to reestablish, reaffirm? Will you kind of bring together these relationships that have broken on this horizontal level? I don't know about you, but I need that, folks. As much as I want to be right with God, first and foremost, that's by far the most important. God doesn't do things halfway. And the blood of Christ doesn't bring us halfway home. Now with that, I'm going to put a little asterisk. (laughs) And that is when true biblical repentance is in store and when the Spirit is moving in the life of the offended. One of the most challenging things in counseling is that you're working oftentimes with an offender and an offended. And biblically, God has an answer and a hope for both of those. And yet, trying to get that lined up on the same page, have you ever tried to do that? It's difficult. So I'm not saying that, hey, the minute I go back and say, okay, God, will you make all of these relationships right? And I truly mean in my heart that instantly, the you know, rose garden walk, happily ever after. No, it's a long, long journey and a long process. But there's hope. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will return to you. As he felt this kind of weight, he said, I, I wish it could go back and be restored as if it never happened. Uh, see that word return there? The, the Hebrew word there is uh, very easy, shub. And you know what it means? That Hebrew word means that return back to the point of departure. Remember a couple weeks ago he said, have you ever wanted to turn back time, five minutes, five hours, five days? That's what he's requesting. He said, yeah, God, will you return? Will you return? Will you bring me back to the point before I departed? Spurgeon said this. He said, my fall shall be the restoration of others. That will bless my pathetic testimony to the recovery of many who, like myself, have turned aside into crooked ways. Agree with that? (laughs) My pathetic testimony? (laughs) In other words, he says, I acknowledge my fallenness, and, and yet, God, you're not done using me. It might actually bring hope to others who have pathetically fallen too when they see the power of God restoring in our lives. Now, let's go back to the question that we asked a couple seconds ago. Does infidelity, for example, change a marriage? Yes, a thousand times yes. 
Will God forgive if there's true repentance? Yes, a thousand times yes. But does that marriage have to be forever damaged? Does it have to be forever damaged? No, a thousand times no. I'm not making light of the hurts that you've been through. Guys, I've sat down with broken hearts and broken lives and broken marriages for many, many decades now. And believe me, just as my heart is heavy this morning for two of my kids who've gone, who are going through this tragedy in their life, I feel that pain, but I want you to have hope. We're not making light of sorrow and hurt. I want to make much of what Christ does. Because if we're left only to the hurts of this world, woe is us, folks. Woe is us. And if you're not there yet, one day you might be there. So our hope has to go beyond just getting this right. If not, by the time you're 20, 25 and you've done these sins and you've broken relationships and you've broken hearts and you've broken lives, what hope is there if you live another 25, 50, or 75 years? God gives hope to the brokenhearted. And I believe that he gives hope to the heartbreakers. And believe me, you may have been on this side of the brokenhearted, but don't take for granted that one day you may not be on the side of the heartbreaker. I would hope that that would never, ever happen. I would hope that you would never be offensive to another person. I would hope that you would never damage another heart, but we're sinners, folks. Do you think that most people thought David would do what he did? to lead to adultery and then to murder? And yet here's this man of God, this man after God's own heart, that it says that in the New Testament, not just before his sin, says that afterwards, that there's hope. See, by making this point, in, by this point in David's sentence, he's not minimizing his sin at all. He's, been made, he's made much of that, but he's also making much of God's power to forgive and to restore. Look at verse 14 again. Or verse 14. And notice what he says about his sin. And you tell me, does it seem like he's watering down his sin? Like, oh, it was no big deal. Made a bad choice. Deliver me from... When's the last time you heard that word? (laughs) When's the last time you used that word? (laughs) Does it sound like he's watering it down? No, he said, I, I, the, the construction of that word in the Hebrew is, what he's saying is, okay, my sin needs a blood atonement. My sin needs a covering. And so he's not minimizing it all. He's just going, okay, God, I, I did this. He's, he meant that it's a crime worthy of death. Remember Old Testament, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth? He's killed Uriah. What is his just future if he just looks at the law of, you know, you get what you deserve? He needs to die. And basically here he says, deliver me from my blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. 
He said, I did a blood crime that can only be paid in, paid in blood, and, and I'm going to have to pay this in my own blood unless you make a provision. David is not minimizing his sin. He fully understands what he deserves, but he also understands the power of God's salvation. He didn't say, I'm going to try to do a lot better. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, and I'm going to try to do a lot better. Is that his hope? I promise never to make that mistake again. Is that his hope? No, his hope is, oh God, oh God of my salvation, you deliver me. My only hope is what you've done. Now think about it. When you know that you deserve death, and instead you are offered forgiveness in life. How do you think you would feel at that moment? I don't go a whole bunch on feelings because feelings can be very deceptive. But how would you feel if you deserved death? Instead, the judge said, no, you're free to go. I would think joy, some happiness. And look what he says in verse 14. Oh, my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Oh, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. See, this is why we call biblical repentance, true biblical repentance, beautiful. God can not only forgive our sins, he can restore us to the calling and the purpose that he originally placed on our lives. Go to John 21 real quick. Because it's going to be on the screen, but it's kind of hard to see. Because it's a a passage, but I want you to focus. Remember when Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me? Not once, not twice, but three times. Peter said, I don't believe it. (laughs) He looked at the other 11 and he pointed to them and said, they might. They're up for it. But Jesus, I'll never deny you. And yet what happened? In the midst of 24 hours, Peter denies Jesus three times. He feels terrible. He's about to abandon ministry. If you go back and read the whole passage, he is going back to fishing at the beginning of John 21. He goes, okay, I can always go back to my old way of kind of living life. I was a fisherman. And he goes back to what was before this calling that God had placed on his life. Peter, drop your nets and come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It was God's calling on Peter's life. Peter's going back before that, before the calling. And you know what happens here. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Three denials. I believe three restorations. That what Peter tried to undo in his sinfulness, that God in his grace and his mercy and by the power of the cross, Christ restores. Folks, biblical repentance is not minimizing our sin. Nowhere do we see in the Bible, in the New Testament, of true biblical repentance where somebody goes, well, I meant well. 
Not that you and I have ever used that excuse for our sin. Well, I can't help if they were offended. Trying to put off on somebody else our own offense. Nowhere are you going to see that in the Bible where somehow it's everybody else's fault except for our own. No, in true biblical repentance, what we see is that we own up to our sin and we own up to it first and foremost to God. Oh God, oh God, against you and you only have I sinned. But God doesn't leave us there. In the boldness of David's request, God, will you begin to restore my calling in the relationships that I've broken on this level? Truth is, there are severe consequences to David's sin in his earthly life. Remember when the prophet Nathan came to, to David and made him aware of his sin? Even that whole story about a person who had a lamb and somebody else had a whole bunch of lamb, but they took this one lamb. Remember that story? And David said, I've sinned. And he came into the recognition of sin. Do you realize that the prophet Nathan at that same time had a pronouncement? Look at verse Samuel, 2 Samuel 12, 11. Thus the Lord says, this isn't Samuel going, in my opinion, here's what I think you deserve, David. This is what the prophet says about what God says to David. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. Now, is it because God's vindictive? Because God's just hard? And you go, okay, I'll forgive you, but these things. No. There's a truth going on here, folks. And the truth is, there are consequences to our choices. There's consequences to our disobedience. And can we be forgiven and they would be erased as far as the east is from? Yes. But are there earthly consequences when we hurt somebody, when we do something that is offensive to a holy God? And the answer is yes. It came true. David's life was really difficult. The child that he had with Bathsheba dies. Uh, later on, uh, he has the son, the son Amnon, and, and he rapes his sister Tamar. There's this other son, Absalom, he tries to kill David and take over the throne. I mean, can you imagine if your own son was coming after you for your life? Well, later on, we see even another son tries to take the, son, uh, the, the throne from Solomon. There's kind of little ripples that are the effect of, of David's sin here. Can God take those ripples away? Yeah, he can. But is God not being God? Is he not being kind? If for some reason we do have to reap, at least in the earthly life, not in a spiritual condition, but but do we have to be honest with ourselves that God doesn't always take away all the consequences of our sin even after he's forgiven it? See, this is one of those things. Remember how I said that a lot of times there's two truths working at the same time that we get confused because we'll just quote one verse and say, okay, God forgives. He removes as far as the east is from the west. Well, that's true. But look at Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. New Testament or Old Testament? Before the work of Christ, after the work of Christ. After the work of Christ. Now, to put that in context, he's talking about just this earthly life and even that we will one day answer Christians 
before a holy God. You know, there's two judgments. One is for salvation. That one Christ has already taken care of. But we will answer to a holy God for, the Bible says, every word that we've said, every action that we've done. There is a judgment of works. Our salvation is not based upon those works, but we will stand before a holy God one day. Are both of these truths that God forgives us and we have no sin through Jesus Christ and that there are earthly and even heavenly consequences to our sin. Both of those are existing. I can make a biblical case for both of those. And they coexist. One is more positional. One is more practical. And David had to face up to the pregnant. His family life was kind of terrible after this. What's David requesting of God is not based on his goodness, not on his ability to make everything right, but on the kindness and the graciousness of God. And so let me give three different applications of this text today that I believe that apply to our lives. Number one, our hope for restoration is based on the work of Christ not ours. Let me give you an example of that. We just got back from Utah. If uh, if you're LDS, if you're Mormon, and life goes astray, and life gets difficult, and you have doubts, and you have consequences, and things are happening in your life, and you go to one of the leaders and ask, now I'm saying this based on what I've heard from many in the LDS church, that their experience when they went and they had spiritual problems the answer was always do more, work harder, dedicate yourself that much more to God. Is there a human part of us that says that's the answer? Yeah. Is that the biblical answer? You and I don't have enough. We, don't, we could never make it back, guys. Less the work of Christ we would never be able to earn back. That's why David says, deliver me from my blood guiltiness. What I deserve is a blood death of my own blood. But I appeal to you, God, in your salvation, your answer. So the first one, any restoration that's going to happen in the vertical or the horizontal is dependent on the work of Christ, first and foremost. Secondly, true repentance does not take a casual look at sin. Probably one of the most difficult things in counseling is one says, well, I've prayed about it and God's forgiven me. And that other, that husband and wife, that other one goes, well, I'm glad, God, glad, I'm glad that God did, but you still got a long way to go with me, buddy. In other words, you, you, if you want to say that God forgave you, that's one thing, but that whole casual nature, like, okay, yeah, I know I made, you know, the wrong choice, sin. Yeah, I don't want to minimize the hurt that it brings both to holy God and to the people that I love. God's never going to minimize that, guys. And true biblical repentance is what we saw in those early verses that David felt the full weight of his sin. How many words did he use to describe his sin? Do you remember? There's three different ones. He went into to really great description of three different things. Man, I've offended you this way, this way, and this way. He's not making light of sin. True sorrow, biblical sorrow over our sin brings heaviness to our sin 
And we see how effect, sin affects not only our relationship with God, but the relationship of others. Hey, let's just be real. Have you ever had somebody apologize to you and they had no idea? Or they ask you for forgiveness and they had no idea of the depth of the hurt that they brought to your life? I mean, it's usually family that does that, unfortunately. Because the more we love, the more we're vulnerable. That's not what biblical repentance brings. What it brings is I'm, I'm as aware as I can be of the way that I've offended you and I ask for forgiveness and I desire restoration. Here's an illustration I use and I know we, we need to go. Let's just take that example of marriage. When there is an offense in marriage, infidelity or something like that, it doesn't have to be huge like that, but anything. Remember the old uh, bridges that used to be just a plank of uh, you know wood bridges and all these planks across there? When there's brokenness in marriage, that whole bridge. But here's what happens in human nature. In human nature, I've been good for three days now. I've been good for five days now. Can we build that bridge back? That's usually the mentality of the offender. I've been a good boy. I've been a good girl. But when you're the offended, you're holding on to one plank out of a hundred. And you're wary to put it back because you don't want to be hurt again. So guys, this is the difference between human nature and just what happens in our minds and our hearts and the hope of Christ. True repentance does not take a casual look at sin. It sees the heaviness, not only in your offense to God, but the offense to other folks. And last, no matter what our sin, God can use us again for ministry in His kingdom. If I had grievous sin of such a sort, there are very things, very uh, a lot of things that could dishonor me for the role of pastor in a church, I believe that, disqualify me. But even if that happened, I don't believe that I would be disqualified from ministry of some sort. This is my hope in Christ. This is not minimizing sin. It's going, no, because I made this choice. I really don't need to take this role of pastor anymore. But can I have a ministry with other guys who are going through the battle that I did? Maybe God will restore it in that way. Does that make sense? Because again, what we're doing is looking at both those truths. There's consequences. And one of the consequences is that any church would say, we don't really want you as pastor. At the same time, the hope of Christ is your life is not over. I will restore a call upon your life. I want to use you for the kingdom. This is the God I am. This is our hope, guys. Anybody have a grandmother or grandfather that uh, had great spiritual influence on your life? You go ahead and raise your hand high. I thought that there would be that many. Do you think they had perfect lives? Do you think they walked the straight and the narrow? You're talking about my grandmother. Yes, you know. No, you know, I, I'm sure they had their difficulties. Yet, look at the profound spiritual effect that they had on your life. 
Not because they were sinless, not because they were perfect, but because they were just real with God and God used them to make a profound difference in your life. You'll pass that on to your children, your grandchildren. I believe that as grandparents, we can make a profound effect for many, many generations. I believe that there's one of the big surprises of heaven might be when we stand before the throne and we stand before it else and we see these thousands of people and go, okay, God, who are those? Those are the ones that I used you in some form or fashion to present the hope of the gospel and the beauty of Christ. But I never knew that person or that person or that person. Yeah, but the person you told, told them. And then that's the great-grandchild of this other one. Guys, I don't know how God's going to do it, but I think we're going to get blown away. If you made a major mistake in your life, that's what we would call it. If you have sinned against holy God and it has repercussions on this level, first and foremost, get this right, guys. And that may take weeks, months, maybe years. Not because God is Terry, not because he is, you know, not patient with you, but just, you know, for you to feel the, feel the weight of your sin. And, and then ask God to restore these relationships. I, I promise you, I, I don't think this is going to happen overnight. What I think is when you feel the sorrow of your sin, and you truly, in that sorrow of your sin, you go back and you're maturing in Christ, and more and more and more and more, that is reflected in the decisions that you make, that I believe that God will many times bring about a restoration of these. Is it, a, is it an indefinite prom, promise that, that happens all the time? No, because we do have free will. And just because one is really, really sorry of their sins doesn't mean that another one has to always agree to that. I think if uh, under Christ and, and grace that they can. Does that make sense? Because I don't want to mislead, and I know this is, I mean, this is a real relevant subject, guys. I mean, there's folks in here that maybe today you're going, man, that's a story of my life. This is what happened to me. And I don't want to mislead anybody that as long as you pray the prayer and God forgives, that all of a sudden your marriage is coming back or this is coming back or that's coming back. Much more complicated than that. But here's the hope that we do have. God, within all that I am, as I give it to you, will you help me at least restore my side of the relationship? And maybe the marriage might not get back together. And maybe the family will never, you know, really be as close as they once were. Or maybe a thousand, maybe you won't get your job back. Or, you know, whatever the case might be. But David asked, God, will you restore to me your calling upon my life? And can you think, except for losing our eternal soul, can you think of anything that is more worthy, more hurtful, more heavy than to lose God's calling upon your life. That's why I think David comes and says, now that we've got this right, God, help me to restore this because I want to be used of you. Father, will you take this word and apply it to our lives? Father, a hundred different situations here this morning. hundred different ways that we have broken the hearts of others. hundred different ways that our hearts have been broken by others. 
And God, will you teach us how to take both of these truths, the fact that you never will minimize sin, that our choices do have consequences. At the same time, Father, will you never minimize the power of the gospel to remove as far as the east is from the west our sins against you, a holy God. Father, will you never minimize the power of your spirit to change hearts of people and restore broken relationships, broken marriages, anything that we've broken, Father. Father, thank you that through Christ there is hope. Hope that is secure eternally, but even hope for this day and tomorrow. So, Father, we do. We ask you this morning, create in us a new heart. Renew a right spirit within us. Restore to us, Father, the joy of your salvation so that we can, Father, go out and fill the fruit of restoration and reconciliation even among our human friends, Father. We pray this all in the hope of Christ and the victory of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.